This is Laura Deirdre with the Becker Spine and Orthopedic Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Dr. Robert Bray, founder and CEO of Disc Sports and Spine Center in California. Disc and Dr. Bray recently signed a deal with Chicago Pacific Founders and the creation of Trias Global as really a, a part of their growth strategy. So Dr. Bray, I want to hear more about that and what that really means for the organization. Thank you, Lauren. Thank you for having me on. Um, it's been an exciting few months and uh, we just completed our deal at the end of the year with Chicago Pacific Founders as a new expansion model. And it's, um, I think it's an interesting and, and gives us a lot of opportunity for the future venture. The, um, the basis was that what we did was took everything that DISC has learned over the last number of years, we've been in the outpatient market now for 22 years plus, and created a new model which we're calling Trias Global, and it, it basically has three components. First, it's creating all the outpatient high-acuity spine into a global billing event. So we're taking and wrapping everything that happens for the event of care into, into one piece, and that's allowing a, a great deal of cost efficiency on the site of service reallocation or moving things from the hospital to the, the outpatient center, which I've been a champion of for so long. Second, it, it looks at a new way of analytics, which we're looking at the quality assurance. And we needed to do this in order to be able to create a replicable situation. And we've created an analytic model that looks at things a little differently. We're looking at decision-making, what choice of procedure that's done across the board, by cost efficiency, the cost of that procedure, and linking it into patient-derived outcomes. So we're basically getting down to, are the physicians making a good choice? Are they getting a good outcome? And is that saving monies to the system? And then the third is that it, it looks at the entire management or creating a musculoskeletal management company. So it's a um, it's a big venture, and we're very excited to be partnering with Chicago Pacific Founders on this because they provide a huge input of of, of uh, business expertise and reach into the payers to understand what they need and why, and the capital in order to accomplish the project. That's fascinating, and what an exciting uh, deal and opportunity for you and DISC. Now, I'm wondering, when you're looking at this five years down the line, what does success look like? What do you hope that will come out um, of this partnership that will really um, be kind of needle moving for the industry? Well, I think it gets down to aligning incentives, as we call it, and getting everybody on the same page. It's time within this business and within you know, our niche, spine in, in the outpatient world, but in medicine in general, it's time that everybody got on the same page. We don't need to be looking at the payers as our adversary. We need to be looking at them as our partner. We need to be focusing on the patient for quality. So what we're trying to do here is to get everyone on the same page as to what their needs are and what has to happen to make this successful. And that really gets down to a couple simple answers, but if everybody gets working together, we can get it done. The, the first is a quality-driven model, a data-supported quality-driven model, because that's what the patients need. They need good quality care, access to that care at a reasonable price, 
They need it within their insurance model, so there's no you know pricing things out of the market, and it needs to be quality driven. So we've set up the whole data structure to to look at that and and monitor it as it replicates. With the payers, you know, they want to be working with us, and our the, the last few years we've really learned that you know these aren't the bad guys these are the good guys they they want to help us out they want to work with us to get a model that works for everybody but it has to be a cost efficient model to be working and and it has to be transparent to the world the centers and the physicians uh, the ASCs and the physicians working there they want to be fairly represented they want to be paid reasonably for their services and 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 they're very quality driven. So getting everybody on the same page as to what their needs and desires were in creating this model is where we want to take this. And that's what we've been working on so hard at DISC over the last number of years to get be in network and and now a step beyond that globally for for the and that means the the surgery, the anesthesia, the assistant, the implants, everybody, the whole structure in network and consolidated down so there's no disagreement on how the procedure is performed, and then looking at that quality piece where patients are happy. And that's where we're very proud of our you know, net promoter score of 97, 98 and our, our zero infection rate over, over many years now. So when you piece those things together, you end up with something that is saving the system a lot of money. It's saving it on the advent of care because that event costs less as a consolidated global package. It's decreased administrative load for the insurer, for the center. It's decreased disagreement between us. And, you know, we're doing an X and it's one code and one piece going through. We very carefully documented the, the decreased complications. And in spine, that's a super important topic because a lot of money is spent on complications and infections and readmissions. So decreasing that dramatically documented rate and and the third way is is um, we're working on papers and things to document is is decision making, getting the physicians on the minimally invasive mindset, and that you know proper application of of choice of procedure, and then monitoring that on an ongoing basis to say they're making a good choice. When can a micro be done and and not a front and back fusion? When can a a, a you know simple arthroplasty instead of a multi-level fusion, the neck be done because the cost decision making is tremendously better. So the the change is going to be you know we're now set with Chicago Pacific the founders is our partner to duplicate this and our our goal is to take this now and take the model forward and and build it out and there's multiple ways we can do that. That is just really a fascinating idea and like paints a great picture of what healthcare could be like when it's operating, um, you know, at full efficiency and full capacity. And I like as well how you're talking about pairs as the partners and really moving cases safely in the outpatient setting and doing the best you can to provide that quality and cost effective care. Now, I'm wondering, too, in thinking about the more complex cases, especially for spine and orthopedics as well, how do surgeons ensure that those cases are a good fit for the ASC? Well, you know, that's a great question, and a, a lot of that has to do around what we're trying to do with duplication here, because when we duplicate, we can either go build a de novo, another one, or we can 
acquire a center that's already operational, or we can take, I call it the processes and procedures of of how to, the cookbook of how to do this, and overlay it on an existing center through this management company. Now, the reason that answers your question is it's important for the center to have the capability to do those complex cases and do them repeatedly and do them without complications and that be completely in their comfort level and wheelhouse. So we are doing things that maybe people wouldn't be thinking about right now. I did a front and back uh, yesterday through a side and posterior screws. We're doing arthroplasties, lumbar, cervical, multi-levels, lots of very complex cases, but the center is built out and designed to handle that. And we've been able to do it and document, you know, essentially no transfers, no readmits, and, and, and no infections. We're, we're, we're not biting off something we can't chew. We're, we're developing, but developing the processes and the procedures on the how to do it, that cookbook, is what's critical importance. Now, you have to take that then and lay that to the physicians and say, okay, here's how we do all these things here. And, you know, I spend a lot of time educating the physicians, both 27 years of fellows and a pile of partners that have come in and joined. And we're actually reinstituting a fellowship with DISC that we're going to start back up again for training, be starting this next year. But then you get to the training where you train the physicians to work within this environment, and it, it begins to up everyone's comfort level. And once they see the cases done of that type and get the experience doing them, they find out they actually work better. And and part of that model is the build-out. And I like it to say it's, it's well, it's only 23-hour hold uh, in, in our situation here in California. It's 23 hours of intensive care unit. We're, we're looking at that patient, you know, with a one-on-one, one on one, uh, two, rarely more than two patients for one nurse. We're giving an intensive care unit level of care and attention to that patient for a shorter period of time and then creating the whole post-op follow-up outpatient that makes the patient comfortable. And that gets down to a, 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 another big point, which is the family involvement. Absolutely. I think all of those points are so crucial. And as you mentioned, so interesting, not only think about how the facilities are being built out, but also just uh, physicians and surgeons understanding what's possible, how they can build their teams to have the more complex cases and feeling really comfortable in selecting patients and preparing them for surgery, obviously is really key and um, just so fascinating to think about. Now, I'm also, too, thinking on the technology side of things. What are some of the interesting technologies and platforms that really have um, made an impact on you and you feel like are going to continue to evolve and develop in this space? I think one of the most fascinating things we're going to see over the next few years, and we're already started in it now with our our application of our quality analytics, is, is where AI is going to fit in this and the learning from data. Because you know a lot of data is great, but without understanding what it means or what to do with it, it's it's um, a pile of data. Um, we're we're applying AI to start looking at decision making, uh, what's getting a good outcome, how it's generating cost efficiency. But you have to link into all those data sources, from the the billing and the coding to the 
to the decision-making in the physicians, the medical record, to the outcomes at the center, to patient-derived outcome from how the patients are doing. You have to link all those things together. And rather than one technology, um, you need to start looking at an overarching view of which technology, which te- technologies are actually working, which ones are providing that cost-efficient decision that is driving things forward. So, uh, you know, take disc arthroplasty. Uh, it's been a great change in my career, one of the biggest changes I've seen over my entire career. I, I've shifted probably 80, 85% of my volume uh, that used to be fusion to, to arthroplasty. And uh, we're looking at many, many cases that you wouldn't think would have been originally appropriate for the way it was designed in FDA, but you know, having incredible results. So I think it's it's an example of a technology that's that's uh, predicted by SG2 to be the rapid, the most rapid growing field in outpatient, and applying it in in actual application, it's it's growing hugely. The procedure that's very well designed for an outpatient environment as well. So we're looking at that technology, applying the whole processes and procedures of how you do it, all of the billing and coding and, and application and outcomes, so we make sure we're getting the outcome and, and moving it forward and then learn from that. Are we, are we really moving things forward, really answering the question? So I think we'll see the AI really diving down into the weeds of the detail of that data and looking at how we're expanding things and and really helping us understand as we put these new technologies in are they successful do they and the successful answer should be are they cost efficient are they increasing patient satisfaction and outcome and can they be done and repeatably repeatably taught safely to physicians to bring them in and do them this way and i think we're going to see those answers come out over the next few years Got it. Absolutely. And that's just really exciting to think about. Now, I know um, you were just talking about having a lot of the data and information together. Um, I know DISC has really great quality scores, but also um, has made some really fantastic strides on patient satisfaction and high scores there. What does DISC do differently to achieve those high quality and patient satisfaction scores? You know, we had an interesting learning experience during the onset of COVID, and uh, which I think is, you know, uniquely driven cases into the outpatient world uh, that we've been very well suited for with our, our protocols and processes of management of things that worked very well during this uh, pandemic. But we had a very interesting uh, event happen early on when we didn't really understand the, the ramifications of what was going to happen. There was a big fear. Uh, we we shut down uh, a lot of access into DISC. We we kind of put the walls up, and for a while we cut out families. We just said the patient comes in and and you know goes to they come in the door and you'll pick them up at the end of their stay, which is the way many surgical centers work around the country. It's it's not at all how we have worked. We 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 involve the patient's family from the start, from the minute they're in the room, right until they go to surgery. As soon as that patient is awake with the tube out, they go back in the room. Now, to do that, we had to build very specifically. We had to build with isolated rooms for each patient, not a recovery bay. We had to create staff flow so that it was for those patients and family, get them involved in the education. There's a whole process around getting the family involved. Well, when we locked them out, 
for that period of a few months, our net promoter score during those few months dropped 20 or 30% in just a few months. Patients and families were now unhappy because they didn't have their family involved with them throughout the whole procedure. And that was, you know, a new group of patients coming in that hadn't been here before, but it wasn't the DISC experience. And it really showed us and highlighted as soon as we put the families back in, immediately the patient satisfactions went right back up. So I, I think, you know, our learning curve from that one was that it's super important. Now we've spent the extra money and we not only test every patient, every staff, we test every family member that wants to come in and visit them right before the procedure and incorporate them through the whole flow and and yet keep that patient and family isolated from the other ones within the center at the same time. So it, it's a bunch of work to do it protocol-wise. I, I think it's been one of the leading things of why we have uh, had that high score of satisfaction, but it also has been one of the really paramount things in getting these outpatient things accomplished. Our families know what they have to do to mobilize the patient, to do deep breathing, to get them up and moving, to get their pain management under control, to all aspects, to get their bowels moving when we do an anterior. I mean, they're involved right through the whole time here, but it gives them that comfort level to go home and continue it on at home. So I, I think that's just the process is how we handle things, how the education is, and that key, key involvement of getting the family every bit involved. That's amazing to hear. And, you know, what an important lesson to learn. And I'm sure gratifying to know um, that when you were able to um, bring the families back, that was such an important aspect of what you were doing. I think the last question I have here is, what do you think will be the lasting legacy of COVID-19 on orthopedics and spine? Yeah, great question. First off, I legacy would sort of mean it has to go away. And, um, uh, you know, I, I don't really see that being the case. Uh, my my older daughter, who's an MD-PhD and teaches up at Stanford, and I together run an intelligence company that, that consults for how to manage COVID protocols for some very large companies. And, you know, while this is a spike we're going through right now that's unprecedented, it's going to settle down and it's already starting back down in the U.S., it, it's going to bounce again. And it's going to bounce again, and variants are still here, and we don't have enough people vaccinated. I mean, it's just it's going to keep looping back. And I think the legacy here is is more the how do we deal with the new world, and this dealing with the new world, you have to have in place methods to remain functional and remain operational despite what's happening. And we've been able to show that and and prove that through the pandemic. Well, the lasting changes, this has given an immense push to the development of the specialty centers that, that have the capability of delivering this care and showing their resilience and, and being able to now take patients throughout while this is happening and still provide care. So I think you're going to see just a lasting push that was a field that was developing all along anyway and was gaining steam slowly over time. I mean, it was 20 years ago I lectured at Becker's about the development of an outpatient spine, and people looked at me sideways. Well, you know, now it's a big topic. It was all developing anyway, but now it's gotten a giant shove. And I think as places get built out and get duplicated and brought to the market in a, in a, in a replicable, quality-assured fashion, 
they have to be ready for what's going to happen in the future, which is going to be whether it's more variants that come through or the next virus or this is a new reality. And the change is you, you've got to be ready to deal with that new reality up front, prepared, and, and ready to go and, and stay functional. And if you do it right and with the right things in place, you can. And that's what we've been able to show. And I think that's going to be the lasting change is that people really need to be ready for it. They can't just ignore it and hope it goes away and say, okay, we're done with that. Um, I realize people are tired of it, but it's just not the way it's going to be. That makes a lot of sense. Well, Dr. Bray, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. It's always a pleasure to speak with you, and we really appreciate you being here. Uh, Thank you so much for the opportunity, and uh, we look forward to the model growing and and getting out there, and and, uh, hopefully have a lot more to report back to you. Thank you for having me.